Hello, everybody. Welcome to Wombat Radio. We are in um, Berlin with Sophia and Daba. G'day, Soph. Hello, Matt. The last time we spoke was in Newtown in the park in the sun. Yeah, years ago now. Mm. Do you think the, the wisdom has increased? <laughs> uh, yeah. In ways, the experiences have definitely increased. Mm. My understanding is a lot broader. But, you know, different phases of life. It'll be interesting to listen back to that and then listen to this and see... Who the hell is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, like the long-term relationship with self is fun when held loosely, right? Rather than protectively. Yes. Mm. Yes, yes. Um, what, what we usually talk about is what your thinking about or working out or working through or busy with kind of in a preoccupation but also I guess in like what lenses are you wearing that is colouring the way that you see the world at the moment mm-hmm. for me and mm. you're asking for me yeah um, I mean, yeah, yeah it's at the moment my thinking is really surrounded by relationships of all kinds. So I really feel like I'm thinking about how I interact with people and um, how I communicate with them and where that gets us in understanding each other and understanding the self too. Mm. And... um, Yeah, it's super, super fascinating. And it came out of, like, understanding my own self in, like, an intimate relationship or, like, in a partnership and then looking out further, Mm. casting it further to the people who I'm connected with at work or as friends, in family. Yeah, I think about it a lot. (laughs) (laughs) And do you think about the physical side of those relating as well and and the way that you relate with yourself or is it mostly like a a mental model mind state um well the relationship with myself it's more it can be more physical or a felt experience Mm -hmm. of like listening to how i really feel or listening to my intuition Mm -hmm. or listening to my body and then making decisions based off that and trying to be as like centered and um tuned in to what's happening but then with other people i guess um how does that manifest physically yeah it's i I can only really base it off intuition Mm. yeah and the felt experience of things yeah not necessarily like a, a physical action or a physical contact with other people. And I'm interested to hear you talk about the process of feeling something or sensing it or understanding it um, as, as as experiential and then how that, how that merges across and 
and then gets framed by the text or vocabulary or discussions that you're having around these things. Um, to to the people, to that uh, person? I think also to yourself in like explaining why and how and what each experience that you feel is. Because like the world comes in and does something to you and then you feel an intuition or a sense. Mm -hmm. And then when you're thinking in words about what did that interaction mean and did I take it the right or wrong way and is Mm -hmm. is that what they meant, then I feel like usually we think with the words that are coming into our lives through the books that we read and the conversations that we have. Mm -hmm. And so I'm super interested to hear about how it is for you when the thing that you sense but don't have the language for yet and then that language comes into your life and then they <laughs> roll together. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I guess a lot of... Oh, it's such a... It's hard for me to um, speak broadly about it. It's okay. easier if it's like case by case situation. You, you, you like you can change change the names and give a case like a case really. <laughs> um, yeah. And then Janice was like, and then I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. Well, one of the things I would say I'm looking at, let's say, um, or researching is that any kind of um, reaction you feel on the inside to something that happens on the outside Mm. is always, in the end, your Mm. own creation. And that, in the theoretical sense, can be digested. Like, I I can understand that to a certain extent. But when you're living life day to day and you have these interactions with people and maybe you get frustrated or maybe you get angry or or maybe you fall in love like maybe you get seduced right yeah that's a really good one too and then yeah i like (laughs) yeah it's a nice one um so to to understand that that all came from within you yeah right you have a relationship with your Mm. feelings as though they are generated within you like in response to the world but yeah generated nonetheless yeah and so you you were then accountable for everything that you put out to the world and it's easy to to have that like at a mental level and then be like okay well that means even if i'm feeling frustrated or feeling super this Mm. or super in love or super angry Mm. what i give to the outside world i can just change that Mm. So that I'm not projecting something out. Yeah. Um, that could cause an argument or like, you know. And is that, do you think that's just related to being professional in like a studio rehearsal environment? Where yeah, actually think, shit is hell frustrating. Yeah, I think like, we're really trained to do that. Mm. And I don't actually think it's authentic. I think the work comes from like feeling that frustration or feeling those intense emotions yeah. and working out why um why they're there or accepting that they're there and then um you're not really reacting outwardly or responding but just allowing it to be there yeah right yeah yeah because if you don't go right back to the source of acceptance of how you feel then you're just like putting a lid on it or something 
Yeah, right, and right, you're right. not. I mean, putting a lid on is one thing I've done for a very, very long time, and it's like just can't happen anymore. It's a really <laughs> unhealthy thing to do, but you know, working on it. But also, it's not authentic. No, because it's just about managing rather than about liberating yourself from that tumultuous daily ride of reactivity. Yeah, and you're also not giving people the chance to know who you are. And that's something that I've struggled with, is that people don't really get to see exactly how I feel. And that's actually a bit lonely. That can be lonely. Yeah. It's like, oh. And at the end of the day, they don't really know me and it's no one else's fault but my own. Um, so tell me a bit more about how that works with knowing that if you're frustrated, you don't have to launch that out on someone, but then also knowing that it's up to you to engage them authentically so they understand you and are are understanding how the situation is affecting you and also so that you have your own voice and it's being heard. Mm. I think it comes down to practice, practice communicating. Uh, So it's like... But is it about just saying, I'm really frustrated, instead of saying, get the fuck out of my face. Yes, exactly. (laughs) But maybe they both say the same thing. Yeah, but one's not like just shoveling emotion on top of another person. Right. It's giving, um, you know both parties yeah. the chance to just accept this new feeling in the room mm. and to not place judgment or have to do anything but just listen. Like, it's this is good now to put the conversation back onto you, but, like, because we've been working in the studio mm. for nine days. Know, nine days. And so there are times where I've been frustrated at you oh. or... <laughs> I've never heard that from any of my other collaborators. I don't do it deliberately. I really am doing it uh, playfully Mm. um, because I think that I only know what it is that I think in through response. I don't, if I think to myself, I don't know if that's what I think until I make it real. So like I, I, and then I'm also like, oh, can you help me? lift to this couch I'm like oh can you help me pick up this concept so I can see the, un- the ugly underside of it mm, yeah yeah so we have that going on in the studio so my question is to you like how has it been then for me to say or are you getting are you getting me are you getting the real me am I being clear about uh, when I'm yeah, frustrated that's interesting because or, like are you just dealing dutifully with your emotions so that they don't overtake the productive time of rehearsal um or are you eloquently yet subtly giving me the opportunity to be aware and engage even the frustrated side of you i don't know what does it feel like it feels like we're mates and I can just say sorry if I go too far. <laughs> you know, like when you're little kids and you play yeah. and you play and then someone gets hurt and then you're like, oh, that's not what I meant to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I obviously meant to slam you into the wall. That was completely part of the plan. But I didn't mean for it to cause you pain. Yeah. 
But but maybe some of that came out in the duetting today as well, right? With like with the discussion that we had, or with the dancing? No, the dancing. I think that I think the power of working physically is that it is a form of thinking, and that if if it if if working uh, like if thinking. Um, in a way, like in a more meta way or a more abstract way, then dance is a form of physical work that you can do for me that helps me think. Mm-hmm. It, um, sometimes it's just meditation. Like I remember when I was rebuilding an old Mustang with my dad and it's not that I was always enjoying it or always actually engaged, but the task meant that I could pick up something and not know how I was going to fix it and then engage it and engage it and engage it until it gave up its secrets to me and I could do that physically Mm. and there was something that was a whole other kind of I mean then I would also have to like go and find other old guys that knew this old technology and form relationships and have discussions about carburetors and shit because I didn't understand it at all Mm. but there's something about that we open up a can of worms in movement and then we try and see if we have the language to approach it in vocabulary of the language yeah language and words and then we do or we don't and we go back and we do some more some more movement until we're like oh i think that thing that happened shed light on that thing that we were talking about or shed light on that other thing or yeah like um movement is kind of like a subconscious processing tool yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 Yeah, Yeah. I feel that too. Which is like, I don't, um, I have a bunch of projects that are completely digital and I don't know if I, if they're just a, a product of circumstances and resources. Like it's like the Mapstagram account that I run is really about the instant that you realize that the thing that you thought may not be, may not have a relationship with reality. So like that you thought Greenland was as big as Africa and then you see a different map projection and you realize that it's like 16 times smaller Mm. or um, like one of my like maps about, Anyway, like that instant and and practicing that instant. And then I just have an Instagram. It's got, I don't know, not heaps, like about 800 followers. And people must like to see these maps that make you go like, huh. Mm. And then get on with your day. But mm. it's not that I think that I, I really think embodiment is much a much deeper churning of like how you relate to the world and take perspective on things. Mm. But I understand the instant hit of an infographic image, which says to you, Hey, I know you think, you know, this thing, but when you're presented with this other thing, maybe you'll think, why did I think that I knew that thing? Mm. (laughs) Um, Mm. But I don't, I don't bother like approaching the infographic of maps with physicality. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's not really an, um, a felt experience. 
somehow not, but somehow it has to be a projected experience because you have, like, you search for the thing that you know in the map as well. Or, like, mm. Mm. and I guess my question is also about what are we doing in the studio? Because mm-hmm. uh, I think there are times, and <laughs> <laughs> I understand that this is the case with a lot of early stage um, developments or residencies or play. We should call it that uh, and be okay with it. Mm-hmm. I'm a professional and I'm playing. Yeah, yeah. Professional um, players. <laughs> like players? People are jealous of that name. Okay. The BPs. Yeah, the people. The people gang. Uh, I there are times when, and I mean it's a Richard Feynman quote that was like, "You have to be careful not to fool yourself, and you're the easiest person to fool." Mm. And so I I keep that in mind in one hand, and on the other hand, I keep in mind the fact the fact the knowledge, the belief system, Mm. whatever, that if I can't trust my intuition, then how can I make a creative decision? And so I I try and listen for the intuition that tells me there's something here and, or, okay, there's nothing. Okay, keep going. There's nothing. Okay, keep going. That's nothing. Oh, there's something. Okay, give this time, give this space, give this value don't try and squash it by understanding it or forcing form upon it, but, but try and facilitate it into becoming something that is an object that you can have a relationship with and take a perspective on. But then also, on the other hand, it's like, oh, is it just a process of fooling yourself? <laughs> Sometimes I think it is because you have to get out of your own way. Yeah, I've really felt lately that, like, because I like to question things and me <laughs> everything <laughs> and so I wonder am I questioning something so much to the point that I allow myself to stay in the same position uh, and so that's why intuition yes can be a really like double-edged sword yeah yeah because if you say, oh, okay, so just say you're improvising mm-hmm. and you found this movement and then so you want to go into the movement, you're like, yeah, this seems to be working. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Um, but don't do what you always do. Do something else. So mm-hmm. then you make a quick change, a drastic change. But then you might not realize that every time you're in- improvising and you find something new, and then you try and avoid doing the thing that you always do. You make a quick change. So it means that you're doing exactly what you... <laughs> it's like you, a, a, a meta habit trap. Yeah, you're yeah. repeating a, a pattern. Wow. And that's what I raised with you today because remember when I said you did this thing that I've seen you do a few times now? Yeah. And actually your approach was that you were trying to do something new which you were in a, in a way, but not in your approach because it's a, a, a habit of yours, which is the same as what I did. Mm. So 
I think when we we can easily fool ourselves to think that we are creating something new. Yes. When actually we're working out of our habit to keep yeah. our ego in a safe place uh-huh. of questioning or of whatever yes. we do. Yeah, and because everything's up for question except for what the ego holds dear. Yeah. <laughs> what gives the ego foundation. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, 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 there's no way of knowing except for trying new things and trying to quieten the mind mm. and just let the body dance and, and to stay stay with something even if you think that it's been done or you've done it mm. um, because in that moment where you're you're not thinking something new will come out mm. and then when you switch to so that's when you're dancer mode. Mm. And then when you switch to choreographer mode mm. and you're either watching your team do these moves or like this state, or you're watching a video of your past self doing this state, future self would be cool, but we don't know how to do that yet. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> then, then how do you think about... Um, I guess I'm trying to think about how to how to make a value judgment without calling it judgment <laughs> or or like making a hierarchy through setting things as values and priorities but how how do you know what has value I think is like cuz I my relationship is that part of the choreographer's job is to kill things off as well um even if not creatively, then logistically. Um, and that if the choreographer doesn't take that on and leads, leaves it to other people, that's not very responsible, maybe. Well, the easiest parts to that are like time restrictions on rehearsal or mm-hmm. you're working towards an outcome and, mm-hmm. and all of those things help you to make really drastic decisions with... Um, your choreography and then I think it comes down to um, like how aligned you are with what you're searching for if you're really looking for something and you're really clear about that something then you'll be able to recognize it yeah recognize it because I never know what the something is I just have a trust of a feeling when something is happening mm. and when nothing's happening. And it's it's not dissimilar from, um, like, that there's a tipping point. Say, there's a tipping point in a party or a bar where it gets to a certain level of drunkenness where I feel like something could happen. Mm. And at, when I'm driving at speed, like when I was on the autobahn here for the first time in September, and I was on like 210 or something, I was like, this is too fast, actually. Mm, mm. At 180, I felt like that became the tipping point. Mm. Um, and so there's, there's, there's a feeling that I'm listening to that says, um, dismissible, and then 
something to pay attention to. And it's like, it's it's just like that those dudes on the tram the other night, like it was quite clear that there was something going on between them mm-hmm. because of how, because of all their mannerisms and body and interactions and bottles and smashed and like wavering and shit. But if they were acting differently, then kind of nothing would have been going on between them. Mm-hmm. And so that's the feeling that I rely on when I'm maybe not, always uh, I try and release it when I'm improvising um, and I definitely can do that better if I'm working with someone that I trust in their ability to um, what, what are you sorry what are you releasing the the like uh, listening out for that mm, but the, when I'm in the role of choreographer I'm always listening out for that mm-hmm. because I think you can really yeah because maybe that's the only thing I can really... Uh, well, it's about unearthing, right? It's about, like, setting up things until they become something. I mean, I did a workshop on this last year for The Farm and their Bare Bones workshop program at Supercell Festival on the Gold Coast. And the workshop really was something or nothing. And we, we just went through a series of tasks mm. and you had to be practicing that like the, the the point was that yes you do the physical task but the whole time you're practicing about is this nothing or has it become something and of course that's different for each person mm-hmm. and I would say that that's what like subjectivity especially creative subjectivity has to do with mm. um but then there's also just things that you can set up like um, yeah, r- rule-based tasks or structures in improvisation or, like, just positions in space of a group of people where you're like, oh, something's going on there. Mm-hmm. And even if there's not, for them, mm-hmm. it has done something to us to watch it. Now we feel that there is a something. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm deeply fascinated with this, with this feeling mm-hmm. and with and with whether you can trust it <laughs> and with like we were talking about the other day if 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 you have grown up in a more um uh, what's the word like tumultuous, tumultuous environment that mm. where things change really quickly if you are more quickly and acutely aware of the the build where things are about to change, where something could happen. Mm. Um, I think that's what I rely on. Mm, okay. Uh, in in the position of being a choreographer. And it's because I don't want to... I'm, I'm, some people are, but I'm not interested in developing the nothings. But I don't really want to talk about that aspect of it <laughs> because it's like nothing is such a... a it, I know that it triggers your like always <laughs> everything, nothing, never. Like I understand that you shouldn't do that. I just don't have a better word for my experience of it's. It's more like the work. feeling. Like, do you have that feeling when yeah. you're choreographing? Yeah, I have. A, um, I mean, when I'm watching someone like improvise, I feel like intention and attention have mm. a lot to do with 
what's working if someone yeah. is really invested and committed yeah. into the research that they're doing yeah. then it's definitely going to work better than someone who's yeah waiting but i think they're like a kind of their tools rather than an emergent property of the observation of i don't know if you can do something or nothing in the way that you can pay attention or pay or or give or or like be aware of your intention or or directed with it but i think that by doing those things what can emerge is something yeah your likelihood of something emerging goes up yeah yeah totally when you're fully invested and i think that something can't just be something all the time that actually something comes out of nothing so you have to work out like not work out anything but to accept that where there is something there's also going to be nothing (laughs) and it's when a balance yeah when we're watching videos back do you know what is the thing that makes you have a connection with a section rather than not or are you relying on a feeling that you can't yet word that's like we should do more of that or we should give ourselves the structure or framework or music or warm-up or snacks that leads us to do more of that (laughs) snacks um yeah it comes quite quickly when we're watching the footage i feel um i see something nice and then i'm like yeah i can see that it was that we were responding off each other Mm. and the decisions that we made in that moment were so finely tuned to each other that Mm. what happened looked connected and simultaneous and i don't mean in unison i just mean that we both took a decision out of the time and space we shared together Mm. and then also with mute the music so we've been playing with different tracks and there are moments where we either individually take decisions to interact with the music or um yeah and and each other and so when that's clear i know it's clear it worked and why it worked and it's generally to do with a really um like acute attention to the moment mm. to the the space and the people and the sounds in the moment yeah and is that something that you're doing at the time or is that like a rationale that you make upon viewing it after the fact that you're like oh, I think this is what was happening that that's what the intention is for me yeah. in the in the moment mm. and so when it works well, um, when I look at the video, I'm like, okay, well, I achieved what I set out to do, yeah. or we achieved what we set out to do. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's you can't plan every like you can't plan, especially when it comes to improvisations. You can't plan everything down to a T. No, that's choreography. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and so, well, actually, not even. It's like it's film. Like you need to lock something off. Because even when you're performing a choreographed dance show, you might do your braids in a different direction or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't ever do that again. Oh, uh, shit. What about when you are choreographing, though? Like, when was the last time you... Oh, when it was, was Saturday. Oh, when we or set yesterday. material. Yeah, when we were setting material. Like, what? what is... 
what is dry like how do you know which move to do next what are you listening to that says oh yeah this one <laughs> it's usually a change in dynamic that i go for first nice so if something was slow and drawn out then i want to do something that is contra to that hmm. and um yeah, I go, what what would I naturally want to do after that? And then I go back to the same place and try and do it, but fuck it up a little bit. So step in a different direction or put it on a different plane. So that it's weird enough to be intriguing. Yeah, and unexpected. Mm-hmm. And then you end up with this, like, squiggly, unexpected phrase of movement. And then it's like... An obscure enough ob- object to build from. Mm. Yeah. That sounds delightful. <laughs> An obscure enough object that you can then add to and develop and increase and yeah. tend to, actually, that you can give care to. Mm. Mm. And somehow it then sits outside of you as well. Yeah. Even though your body has to be given up to the dance. Yeah. And I, I also am a big fan of repetition. Mm. So I think, like, I I really like organic movement pathways. Like no pesticides. <laughs> yeah, no pesticides <laughs> in the movement, people. B.O. B.O. Yeah. M- movement pathways. <laughs> As they say in Germany, yeah. <laughs> so something organic can emerge mm. when you repeat the same movement over again. You can get to the next step. What if you had to use a different word than organic? What would it be? Um, because I I feel like I know what you mean, but I also feel like organic makes me think about bioorganic, which is, and if we're talking about repetition, actually, like digitized roboticized movements are perfect repetition. So it's almost like what you're saying about organic is like slightly incorrect or. Um, open for development and evolution and change or like yeah. what is what aspect of organic like a figure a figure eight or a double helix or a, um like a movement that's like can follow an energy line in the body that mm. it comes naturally and then can repeat on itself yeah and you think that there are moves that are natural to us from our genetics as well as moves that we learn from like developing into the world and learning how to walk and all that sort of stuff like do they is it just that they are constantly in conversation or I don't know I think it's that nature versus nurture argument whether like yeah i mean of course the majority of the movements that we do are learnt mm. in our lifetime mm. of mirroring the people around us and and then dance training and dance training or mirroring michael jackson yeah, yeah. <laughs> and all the different influences that we have um and yeah there are some movement pathways that are completely unnatural but when you repeat them over and over and over again they become Mm. set in your body and Mm. part of your own natural organic (laughs) right yeah 
that's cool. Do you find that happening with your like? Because you've been putting an insane amount of choreography into your body with the works that you've been doing, right? People yeah. are like, "All right, five routines today, fifteen tomorrow." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's insane. It's and, really insane. And does that allow? Like, does it sit with you the same way as when you do a show with the same role that you tour for thirty venues? Or does it just wash off like when you wash your hair after the season or like what, how does it inform, like. Sorry, it's a question like, does, do I forget the choreography or retain the choreography in the same way as in the past? I think it's like a relationship with body and impulse and movement pathways when one aspect of your job is improvising and finding new and alternate and fragile fresh saplings of movements Mm. and then another aspect of your job is to just like put the moves on the body and then deliver them 20 minutes later on a stage with a band try not trip over the mic horns (laughs) in costume that you probably can't see out of all of that and then like are you a different person are you a different dancer yeah it's definitely a different hat right and some jobs are cool because they require both. Like there are some jobs that I do where it's really choreography, complex choreography, and then within the same show we'll have to do like freestyling or like yeah. improvising. And yeah, I can only say that it's a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, to that, yeah, I can definitely say that the way we work in the contemporary dance industry so far, in my mm, experience, mm. is that we have a lot more time yeah. to really flesh things out, to find mm. out what they are, to be very detailed, but over a long period of time, mm. and um, which gives space for repetition and for things to really sink into the body. And so it means when it comes to these other jobs that I do that are really, like, under pressure time constraints and um you have to learn a lot of choreography very very quickly that i'm i don't have that that skill isn't well trained within me and is it is it is the choreography made up of steps that you already know how to do um and does that make a difference yeah i mean technically i know how i could can do them it's not like doing um like handstands and flips and right, la, la, right, la, la, right. la, like it's stuff that my body is it's capable just of doing. Sequence of, sequencing of things that you already know how to do. Well, like a ballet not, company or something. No, it's, I don't think it's that I already know how to do it, just that I have the facility uh, to do it. Yes, right. It's like um, maybe I have to learn like a, a house step where I have never really done a house class <laughs> before in my life and it's completely different coordination and. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, so where some people have that background, they might be able to just go, oh, yeah, it's just that yeah, step. cool on it. Yeah, yeah, but for me, I'm like, what, what? <laughs> is that coordination? And do you find once you learn it, it, then you can call on it in your freestyles? Yes, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I Also, do you have a thought, I think, that freestyling and improvising is towards a different end and I employ them differently in different contexts and i wonder if you think that you use the term interchangeably yeah i feel like freestyle is um for an audience like um and it's 
dancing for entertainment's sake, mm. for your, entertaining yourself yeah. or entertaining or like, yeah, somebody who's watching you. Christmas, yeah. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. But that um, improvising is like going into your body to play and um, discover movement. Yeah, yeah. What are we doing? <laughs> I don't think we're dancing for entertainment's sake of mm. like um maybe entertaining each other. Yeah. <laughs> but but I don't think we're trying to entertain each other. I mm. think we're trying to like connect with each other and mm. connect with music and go through something and see what comes out. So yeah. we're improvising. Yeah. Yeah. Like we're improvising. That's my understanding as well. <laughs> Good. Glad <laughs> we're on the same page. <laughs> I really wanted I mean I don't know about wanted, but I, yeah, I began on the dance journey imagining being a, an incredible freestyler, actually, and then ended up following a different direction, and in now most of the time improvise. Except there is a solo that I've made up and presented in a few places that I think is freestyle because I'm doing it directly for an audience. Um, but maybe it rests on the ability for improvisation to get you into a state so that the, so that what you're doing transcends just the sum of its parts. Um, but I haven't fully worked that out yet, (laughs) but I'm pretty sure what I'm doing when I do that solo is freestyling. Um, Mm. freestyling because it's to entertain an audience I guess it's I had I had this idea about a cosmopolitan folk dance mm. and if if there was some kind of like maybe when Mm, I don't something about like dancing what what dancing is yours is it all the steps that are in your body are yours or if you've learnt them from Missy Elliott video clips are they not yours even if you grew up with that like like being blasted in to your lounge room and that's what you want it to be like like is that not yours is that a culture that you're appropriating even though it's a culture that was appropriated like via pop industry and then delivered to you um and and then also like once you listen to your body's pleasurable like desire for the pleasure of moving to music Mm. and then you just do any move that your body wants to do of course it's going to do moves that it's seen even if it doesn't do them in a way that looks like that move. <laughs> um, and so the, the solo was trying to deal with, I guess in a way it was trying to deal with the conversation I wanted to facilitate, but not through words mm. of how do we make space for somebody's body to just enjoy the, the blissful pleasure of responding to music. Mm. Um, even if almost all the moves that they do are recognizably stolen and appropriated, 
not because they're deliberately doing that, but because that has been the, the, the movement language that they've been bathed in through yeah. their surrounding environment. And I don't think that it's like necessarily a, like an interesting word-based conversation, but an interesting observation to make when you witness somebody dancing um, where you can condone how what is happening but then you politically it's like it's unresolved in your mind yeah i mean i i don't think for me it just is what it is like those kind of dances we pick up Mm. on tv and on music videos and that travel across the world they're commercial because they're um, accessible en masse. And mm. so it crosses cultures, it crosses countries, it crosses continents. And in that process, we can give it these labels of being cultural appropriation. Um, but I don't, I don't know if it does, it serves any purpose to give it a political stamp yeah because when you in a, at a really primal level when you listen to a song yeah you like it when yeah. you dance when you see a dance you like it yeah. and you copy it and yes. you do it repeatedly and so when someone's a really good dancer at a party they're not like wearing this label on their forehead that says i'm an um i'm a cultural appropriator <laughs> you know? Like, actually, they're just the coolest person. <laughs> and everyone wants to be them. Yeah, right. So I think there needs to be, like, less analysing and more appreciating. And that there is, you know, a disclaimer to that in saying there are cultural dances. Yeah. Um, that are for cultural purposes and cultural rituals or cultural practices. Yeah. Um, but there's social dancing and there's dancing for the sake of feeling good and, and um, you know, there are actually cultures in the world where people don't have permission to dance. Oh. So, yeah, it's... Like explicit, not even just through, like embarrassment or shame or distaste but like explicitly you're not allowed to yeah, dance you're not allowed to dance and yeah. it's such a fundamental part of being human and um, I think that when it's over politicised it takes the essence out of it and and the generative nature out of the possibility of that maybe this is something we share and we can continue to share hmm. like obviously not not leveraging what has been developed by communities for like commercial gain, but by meeting over the shared wants to dance, right? Yeah. And to somehow work out how to dance together. Hmm. <laughs> or just allow for people's dances in whatever way they came about. Mm. Mm. 
I have been thinking about what you're talking about a few things. So mm. usually I just have to wait for my brain to deliver me this like line of jumbled <laughs> memory, which comes across as poetry. Which <laughs> sweet, poetry. sweet, sweet poetry. It comes across as sweet, <laughs> sweet poetry. Which actually is just like ambiguous and frustrating. Um, but I want to, if you wouldn't mind, like think mm. out loud about projection that you were talking about before, mm. as well as perspective, mm. as well as um, relationship. So, like how you how you project onto a choreography or a job or a person how you make a relationship with a choreography or a job or a person or like the self and, and then how, like how to maintain perspective on self and relationships and things like that. Mm. I guess I've heard you talk a lot about projection and perspective, but not as if they're similar or are in relationship to each other. Yeah. Right. I feel like perspective is something um, I'm more aware of in myself. So I try to keep a healthy perspective or I'm I'm in pursuit of a healthy perspective. It's a nice way to put it. <laughs> yeah. But with projection, I feel like it's a really subconscious programming. Right. And that um, I'm only really confronted by the projections that I make. <clears throat> oh, sorry. Um, I'm only really confronted by the projections that I make on other people when they don't align. Oh, so with what that person does. Yeah. yeah right. So I'm like, wow, actually that was just me. I just projected that onto them and they didn't even, didn't even stick. It's not wow. even them. Wow. But a perspective is like something that I, I actively take, Ooh. you know, like I can take, um, rejection in in some forms and i can take certain things that are difficult Hmm. and certain challenges because i have a particular perspective or a particular mindset that allows me to accept it yeah so is that about being in conversation with that person for whom you had an inaccurate projection of or is it about being in conversation with yourself about your projection and having your projection have an actual relationship with your interaction with them. Um, yeah, I think yeah. it's about having um, a conversation with yourself. Have <laughs> 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 a long, long, hard talk. And look at yourself. Yeah, because mm. what can that person do? I think um, you know, unless you unless you're caught in a situation. Of conflict, yeah. Then you have to communicate and say, "Hey, I was making up that you were like this, or you were doing this, and um, can you can you give me more information? Like, is that true, or are you not doing that, and I'm just projecting that?" Right. But some cases you can kind of work it out by yourself. Wow. You're like, oh, <laughs> whoops. <laughs> and and what about? Um, because I've also been thinking about this in terms of I've often thought about self-care when you're a dancer or an artist mm. being being more akin to like leaving the battlefield of development at the end of each day and 
applying <laughs> applying first aid so that you're as healed as possible to go in the next day. Mm. And with you, with your discussions, talking mm. about finding your voice and knowing your boundaries, and, mm. and then also finding the way that you can be. Uh, heard mm. have that voice heard mm. it it shifted my understanding of like self-care to be a bit more preemptive mm. and I want to know how you apply that when you're in a situation where someone else will come and take your job if you're yeah if, if you're like a difficult not difficult actually if you are a reasonable human being in any other industry and you're like actually I'm sick this week and I'm gone yeah yeah I mean the self care falls under so many different categories yeah but um luckily for me at the moment (laughs) um a lot of the jobs that I do are exist in a lot shorter time frames than when I used to do more like contemporary dance theatre shows where developments would be anywhere between two, four weeks or even sometimes up to eight-week developments yeah. going into shows. Yeah. Um, so I don't have... I'm not putting myself in these, like... Like deconstruction zones where the self gets yeah. violated so it can be born anew or oh, something. Oh, yeah. And, <laughs> do you um, think that's like, useful or necessary or do you think it's just an old-school approach? Uh, it depends on who's doing it, <laughs> oh, yeah, right. and and what the environment is. That can yeah. that can be really transformative in good and bad ways, but um, you know, like the longest I'm working on things at the moment is like two weeks. So mm. I know that at the end of that period, I'm going to have a shift. So um, like a a daily routine shift or like a, yeah. yeah i'll right. shift the people who i'm working with i'll shift the nature of the job i'll it will completely shift the style of dance i'm doing probably in a different city <laughs> um maybe even in a different country and so it allows me to not get too bogged down in anything right because you can you can hack anything for two weeks yeah actually i lie because i'm doing a tour that's going to last six weeks coming up Whoa. in april so we'll see how that goes. But, yeah, I feel like I definitely have tools of self-care, which is what right. I think you're asking, right? Where did they come from? Experience. Like, <laughs> Hard one experience. Yeah. Knowing that I need, like, for me, poor sleep, food, and water is, like, no joke. Mm. I'm an, at yeah. least eight hours sleep. Yeah. And I have to have water and snacks on me at all times. Like salty and, snacks or sweet snacks? Mm-hmm. Mixture of both. Mm. Like fruity stuff. And, and does it make a difference if you provide them or if there's a spread? Well, yeah. I mean, a lot of the jobs I do at the moment, always the food is provided, but I also bring snacks just in case. Mm. Um, and that I... Yeah, I really need time. You know, as soon as work is over, I need that time now, like, afterwards for myself. So I'm not really very social or um, not not catching up with friends or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Like, when I'm working, I'm really, like, in that whole world. Mm. Um, 
Yeah, I really liked your um, when you were telling me that you actually just have cups of tea over Skype with your mate who lives <laughs> on the other side of Berlin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because then you'll keep the appointment. Yeah, it's true. It's um, it's proving harder and harder to like keep the kind of friendships and maintain the kind of friendships I want if I have to like jet about town every time I have a day off. Mm. Um because my schedule doesn't really allow for that to happen yeah. like successfully. So yeah, Skyping friends when I wake up in the morning and like just imagining that they're sitting here having coffee with me is, <laughs> is how it's going and I really like it. But other ways of self-care on jobs is like, um, yeah, just... I'm like really acutely focused, but then I know when to extract myself from it. So I don't get caught up in like certain conversations or Mm. like, I know when I need mental rest. Mm. Um, but you know, that's changing and it's always very challenging. Um, and the only way through it is through it too. Like you get to a certain point where you're like, wow, I can't, like something's really challenging and I'm complaining a lot or I'm really like exhausted by it. It just gets to a point where I let go because I'm like, I can't change it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get through it. Yeah. And I've gotten through it every single time before. So it's not all of this stress isn't warranted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a saying about that. It's if you're going through hell, keep going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you can, yeah. Yeah, I guess if you can. Yeah, Yeah, I usually don't do it. I'm a bit too precious. What do you mean? You just don't do it. It it depends what part of it is hard. If the parts of it are hard that are inevitably hard, like it's hard work to learn the steps, to rehearse them, to get to achieve high quality, Mm. um, the mental effort to deal with, not deal, the mental effort to be present, to engage everybody when you're working collaboratively, things like that. Um, and to give everybody the benefit of the doubt in their tone and their language that they choose and things mm, like that. Mm, that's probably one of the hardest things. Yeah, right. So that, I think, is just part of the job and is actually causes a very satisfying um, kind of exhaustion that I yearn for. Like I want the thing that I love to use me up mm. so that at the end of the day, mm-hmm. I'm going to be like, yes. Yeah, I'm me like, too. Mm, squeezed out. Um, but then what, on what top of that, I'm, I'm not up for unnecessary suffering. And by unnecessary, I mean suffering that either doesn't momentarily relieve the suffering of somebody else. So you're like helping out and you're like, yeah, I'll take, I'll take this section while you sort out that. And then I'll give it back to you. That's like a community suffering that you do. I'm down with that, mm-hmm. but like un- unnecessary um, power games or pitching cast members against each other. Yeah. Yeah. Things like that. Or, 
a lack of consideration about flight times. Like if you don't have a rehearsal till four in the afternoon and it's a one hour flight, but they put you on a 6.30 a.m. Mm, flight, mm. then that is a hardship that yeah. is unnecessary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I feel the same. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and I probably would just do it if I wasn't um, as self-important as I am. <laughs> and I'm like, hang on a second. People who love me, parents and family and friends you know like all four of them that sit at the table (laughs) they pay the taxes and the taxes go wherever they go but some of them go to the art council that then gives this choreographer cash so that he has the financial power over me as an employer employee relationship in a free market society to invite me to walk into a dictatorship so that he can mistreat me Mm. Um, not through the work that needs to be done, but through the mannerism at which the power structure needs to be maintained for their idea of what is required. And then how can I, how can I, um, look in the face, the people who want the best for me and tell them that I'm keeping up my end of the bargain of the, like of fulfilling their, desire for the best for me Mm. if i'm if i'm like allowing some of their hard-earned money to be used so that i could be mistreated Mm. um and it was so it's it's this kind of i think that can be said for any any government or any industry that is fueled and funded by taxpayers money absolutely but there's an idea of, I was just exposing, there's an idea of my own self-importance that says that, oh, no, that's not good enough. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, I remember listening to this dude who joined the army at age, like maybe at 30 or something, mm-hmm. and someone was like, what, was that really hard? Because most other dudes joined very young, like 18 he was like, it's not hard if you accept that there's just going to be the first period of time where they're breaking you in and they get you to dig a hole for no reason. Mm. Mm. Um, but you have, but that's much easier to accept when you're 18 than it is when you're 30. Yeah. <laughs> because you don't want to be like wasting your time and effort and resources totally. and joints and things like that. Yeah. <laughs> but also, you know, I think, well, I don't know if you've experienced this, but I did, and I've seen a lot of young dancers experience the same thing, is that you really want your opportunity in dance. You want your time in dance. And so you're willing to go through a lot to get it. You want it so bad, mm. you're willing to go through a lot to get it. Mm. The more experiences you have, and the more you learn, and the more you realise that walking away from that opportunity is not going to ruin your career in dance or whatever, Mm. then you have less to lose. Um, You don't have to prove yourself. You've already built a career in in some respect. Yeah. And so you're not really willing to put yourself in those situations again, unless it's for these things that you believe in, Mm. for the community, the teamwork. We all go through it together. (laughs) Yeah. Or that you see that logically... Yeah. To achieve the idea of this choreography, you really need to go through that. So, okay. But, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, do you have epiphanies? <laughs> Breakthroughs where you're like, what? That idea that I never thought before? Um, I don't know if I have epiphanies that I come up with myself. When I'm doing like reading or researching or I, I learn something, I'm oh. like, oh my God. You know, like. And you write them down or. I just try and remember them. Like, um, this book that I'm reading at the moment, not that one, the. Um, not New Self, New World by Philip Shepard. Yeah, not that one. But. It's called Mindset by Carol S. Dweck. And it goes through this, like, idea that humans fall into the category of either fixed mindset or growth mindset. And actually it can be a combination of both, just depending on what area of your life you're looking at. So when it comes to work, you could have a fixed mindset or a growth mindset, or when it comes to family and relationships or friendships, you can have a growth mindset or a fixed mindset. Mm -hmm. And all the areas it looks at, I generally have a growth mindset, except oh. when it comes to relationships. Oh, and I was like really like confronted by personal that. Yeah. relationships. I was like, ah, oh, wow, looky here. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's, it talks about like people who think um, or have the belief that chemistry in a relationship is... Um, the most important thing and mm. is its test of being a real relationship or a mm. real true relationship have a fixed mindset because they believe that that is the most important thing and that if it doesn't work it's um hang on. it's not that it doesn't work but that you can't you don't really work on chemistry or work on relationships is, uh, is that it it's this it works. it works already yeah is that what's going on when i'm looking for something in improvisations or whatever or could be <sighs> yeah fixed mindset yeah i just want i want to believe that i'm not inventing in value and importance and specialness and magic but you're not in it's not about inventing it's about like putting in work to get somewhere and not just expecting it to be there to pop up well i don't like it's not, magically yeah i guess i want to work on something and i think we do work on things yeah yeah um but i don't want to work on nothing and how I would describe that is that it would be you you could put many years into making a relationship work that actually you should not. Mm. And I think the same with a dance phrase or a song or um, a poem, whatever it is. Okay, can I quickly please, interrupt please. you? So a growth mindset would say... But it wasn't all for nothing because you, through the process of that relationship, you realize what you don't want and therefore are better informed about what you do want for the next go round. So, but tell me this, because my brain then says, it still seems like what we're trying to get to mm. is 
the right thing. And then the growth mindset would say, because life is a journey and you never arrive at a destination. So, yeah, you, but if, if, if the consolation of doing a shit job in the growth mindset is that you get to learn so that you do a less shit job next time, then why not just always do as less shit as possible? Like, why is it ever a consolation that you were in a shit relationship for a long time trying to make it work? Because you're looking, who's to blame for the shitness, first of all? If it's the fact that you knew it was shit the whole time, then you're totally to blame for that. Mm, I guess what I'm saying is like, how do you know to work on a intimate relationship? Do you work on it? Because in relationship to like the chemistry idea, like mm-hmm. we've got really good chemistry. There's something there, but it's not always cohesive. So we can work on mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. or, Hey, this is totally, there's nothing here, mm-hmm. but if we work on it, mm-hmm. we're going to fall in love. We're going to be soulmates and we can just manufacture all of that mm-hmm. by going through the steps. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a, it's a balance and it's like, weighing up what's more valuable to you so chemistry is like something that we can't control but we feel like it is essential to stay kind of connected intimately to your partner um but so that's a great spark for things to start to begin but then after that you need to be open to working on things mm-hmm. and if you don't have that spark with someone then it's about being aware of it and being conscious of it and saying hey is this spark on the top list of values for you and I because if it is then we shouldn't probably go down this road because someone else is going to come along in life he's going to spark us and then what do we do yeah yeah so maybe that's from our relationship with waiting to feel like something has happened when watching back improvisations because I, I want to work on it but I want to work on on a real thing that has a spark mm. because it's a value of mine mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because I am fearful of being the person that has like the the most polished the shiniest the glitteriest piece of shit but it's still a piece of shit <laughs> but it's so worked on and so polished and like sculpted into like an amazing architectural shape yeah and i think that in like if i go back to relationships i'm like oh okay so an arranged marriage kind of could work then mm. because you just do the motions until you feel the intimacy but I, I don't think that's how intimacy works oh like this whole spark thing i'm talking about is chemistry which can probably be traced back down to like primal urges and like things that happened in our developmental years that led to us being attracted to something in particular mm. and so when you work out what you're attracted to what your type is what you um your your subconscious is like yearning for mm. then you can be armed with that information and do you think that all of those sensitivities and that work can be applied to choreographic decision making 
what you're attracted to, what you're sensitive to, what what sets you off. Yeah. And you can know what you want and are looking for, and then you can notice it when it happens. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Even if it's like, you know, it might not be down to the move or down to the dance move, but it could be the type of dancer that or you're interested the, yeah. in. And, and so therefore there's a whole like, thing of trust built around what that dancer continues to bring and offer up and then you mix that with another thing that you know that you're into and then you just try different combinations of things that you know that you're into and you get closer to a pool of things that you're interested in and how did you how what is it what was your thinking about like huh i'm open so i know how obviously how to be open and growth mindset um, except in this thing that's really important. <laughs> and then we just like, okay, I'll just take some of my growth mindset and put it over here. <laughs> or like, what's the, what's the, how do you have, like, what's your relationship with that? Can you ask me the question again? Yeah, I, I guess like, first you worked out that you think you might have a fixed mindset in with relationships, intimate relationships. Yeah. And then, but you know that you obviously have the capacity for growth mindset. Yeah. And then is it just an easy, like, shuffling of your deck to bring some growth mindset over? Or is there, like, a full process of upheaval and re-understanding self? And Yeah. It's mm. a huge um, process of understanding self because this is another thing that really blew my mind is that when you... Like we can't control things, but we can really un- we can learn to understand. Yes, like, that's the yeah. best that we can do in life, and we can actually learn to understand why we do the things that we do, and we think that they're so fucking mysterious, or why um, things come into our lives, and we and these um, things happen to us, and we think that that's so mysterious. For so long, I used to love going to see like card readers and fortune tellers and like and people palm readers as well my auntie reads palms oh really yeah but she's not qualified yeah there's no real prediction okay well that, let's say let's go back to the more qualified <laughs> area of town like i really gave so much emphasis to these people yeah. or who can read energy and la 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 and what you do actually in that process is you give away your power you say you know me better than I know me. Yeah. Tell me what it is um, that is going to happen. And as you as you do that, you are giving away the responsibility of getting to know yourself. Ooh. And so... And your own future, right? Yeah, and your mm. own future. So I started to realize that, you know, when I was hit with this, like um, experience of being intoxicated by chemistry and like feeling like it was meant to be and like this thing that was happening was so like I like um with an intimate relationship yeah Yeah. it was like oh this is totally out of my control actually Mm. now I'm a victim to this Right. intoxicating experience even if it's pleasurable even if it's pleasurable yeah Yeah, rather than an agent yeah. yeah. Rather than like a growth mindset, we say <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, that 
like that that experience is it's one that you're capable of having for a, a set of reasons that you can actually learn how to understand and once you understand what is happening and why it's happening why you're so drawn yeah. then you understand yourself better yes and then you can make more informed decisions from yeah. within yourself yeah. rather than saying this thing happened to me <laughs> and it changed my life forever and yeah. um yeah yeah there's understanding causal relationships is is uh, a kind of liberation from victimhood yeah in like victimhood of destiny or fate or world process or whatever yeah. i think that i've been thinking that about a project i've been working on around financial literacy mm. and how there's so much shame around um financial literacy in the same way that we were speaking about how there's so much shame that in in previous generations and still in other cultures also still in our generation about like sexual literacy mm. like physiologically and then also um like with with pleasurable intimacy and that that is such an important and integral conversation and the people that need to be having it need to be having it at the age that they are so vulnerable and so easily shamed because their feelings of like um potential ostracization are like a high alert at all times mm. um and so i've been thinking about that as well in terms of um the 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 crippling embarrassment around a sense of financial illiteracy mm. and and that you just wouldn't um it's it's confronting to to demand of the world that you have a causal relationship with the things that happen to you because then sometimes there's this great meme then there's like a cartoon character and they've climbed to the top of this massive mountain and crawled through caves and swam across rivers and shit and fought off, fought off crocodiles and they open this chest and they're like finally the scroll of truth and on the inside of it it says sometimes your problems are your own fault <laughs> <laughs> and he just throws it away. <laughs> but he's been, dude's been searching for it his whole life. Mm. And I, and that's, I guess, also the case with like it's. It can be super confronting, right, to have mm. real causal relationships presented to you and realize it's it's you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we so desperately want to believe in fantasy and magic, and um, really, it's not magic it's just not having all of the information it's just like you know some people say oh like this massage therapist is like got special powers it's like no if that person just has a, a set of skills and a set of information that you don't have that allows them to go deeper into the understanding of your body than you have so um I'm feeling like that mind explosion emoji. Yeah, yeah. Because I remember writing, like as a 13-year-old, writing this letter to myself. I don't know if it was to myself or if it was to someone, but I didn't give it to them. There was something about speaking with this imaginary person, telling them that they want magic, mm. but that magic can only ever happen for one person it can't it can't have that it can't be magic for the person that's doing it because the person that's 
doing it understands how it all works and they can facilitate that you can then experience it as magic. And I was thinking Mm. about like, um, I don't know, romancing somebody over time and things Mm. like that. Mm. And when people talk about how it was magical and it's like, it was magical for you, but like actually the, the car that I picked you up in had a flat tire and then I had to call my (laughs) uncle because I didn't know how to change the tire. Like then I had to pay the toll on the way in and had two beats. Like like all this shit that's not at all magic. Yeah. Right. But people want to be bamboozled. Right. And I realized that that's why I read so many Harakai Murakami books because there's a dude in it who's Mm. aimless in life. Almost every book is like this. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Um, And he's like reached a certain level of comfortable success, but almost numb level Mm. of comfortable Mm -hmm. success. And then one day something happens to him. Mm. And then... And then it's an incredible adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, like you're saying, that's not the world. Mm. But I have to say there is another kind of magic that I subscribe to. Yeah, <laughs> Which is the ability to see, to see things, right? Yes. So, like, your perspective can be quite magical. Mm-hmm. And it's not mysterious because it's known. Like you really, like I can really see things in people that I, that's me. I have the ability to see that in someone. And to me, that is so magical. Can you do that to yourself as well? Um, I don't. Like does this, does, sorry, does this magic, does this help with relationship to self and reconsideration? Of yeah, self? I think I'm getting better at it. I wouldn't mm. say I'm like Pro. bamboozled by myself. <laughs> And I wake up in the morning and I'm like absolutely bedazzled by myself. But mm. um, you just reminded me that there was a phase of vajazzling. <laughs> yeah, I also had a bejazzled little thought. Oh, bejazzled right. thought, as I said, bedazzled. Wow, because I was a little bit embarrassed to say that. I think it might be appropriate. <laughs> but no. then I said it out loud and you were like, me too. Yeah. Great, thank you. <laughs> bejazzled, hashtag me too. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, so how do these things have a relationship with with each other? You you call it magic because it's um, an enjoyable experience and it's very powerful, but you know that it's actually a way that you are seeing the world, which yeah. is giving you a, 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 a massive benefit mm-hmm. in the way that you move through the world mm-hmm. and that you can train that. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, and I feel like you really can train it. What can't you train? Like, I'm definitely going to look as good as, as you in the hip-hop phrases, <laughs> in the, like the groove phrases. Not even the hip-hop phrases, but, like, just the way you drop into a groove. <laughs> I'm going to get there. Because yeah. I've got to believe that it's just yeah, movement yeah. pathways, right? And I can put it in. Yeah, or in essence or some, something. I don't want to believe that it's magic. No, but... It doesn't have to be just movement pathways. It could be a myriad of things, but you just got to, like, be invested in finding them. Right. Until your eyes are seeing what... Right. Like, don't take the lazy route of being like, it's magic, it's inbuilt, it's innate. And don't take the perhaps self-defeating route of being like, it's just movement pathways, that's all I need to work on. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. It's it's many, many different things. Okay. (laughs) 
<laughs> okay. Thank you, Sensei. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, shit. Yeah. I am definitely looking for answers, but I don't need to know them. I just actually want to be asking the right questions because I think questions propel you in a certain direction. Yeah. Kind of like that game Doodle Jump where you're like, you can only get to the next level by jumping off the previous level, mm, mm. but you never get to like a high point, mm. but you can definitely like jump off in the wrong direction and go off and like fall way back and then mm. have to like... Work your way back up. Yeah. I think there, there must be a progression, not towards um, supremacy or elitism or success or achievement, but towards a as direct as possible relationship with reality, with causation, causality, sorry. Is that the word? Like when you're talking about causal relationships with things, mm. like not fooling myself in to what I think is going on in the world, but so to, like, to get closer to truth. Yeah. But I would, I would, I sit truth with subjectivity so I, yeah. but isn't that all we have? Hmm. Yes, but I don't, but I would like my truth to be in conversation with fact. Scientific fact. Any observable, repeatable fact. Like if, if I do it and something happens and then you follow the exact same steps and that same thing happens. Cool. But if I do these steps and something happens and then you do the exact same steps and something else happens, that's not yet a fact. Like the causal relationship between the steps and the outcome is not yet a fact. Mm -hmm. There is something else at play. Mm. Okay. I'm a bit confused. That's my understanding of how to understand. <laughs> <laughs> That's my understanding of how to understand understanding. It's true, though. Uh, it's, it's a bit, yeah. It's self-enveloped. <laughs> Anyone would think we're really stoned right now, but we're not. What are we? We're, we're just a bit tired. We're open mindset, growth mindset. Growth mindset. We are using... We're using conversation as the deal jump towards the next level of our thinking. Uh, I, if I drop a cup like a glass on tiles and it smashes factually, there's too much kinetic energy going into that glass to hold its structure. If you drop a cup on the ground and it smashes and it's the same glass from the same height onto the same tiles, then I'm like, huh, the fact stands up. Okay. But if you drop the same glass from the same height on the same tiles mm. and doesn't break, mm. then the facts don't stand up. There's something else going on that I don't yet know. Mm-hmm. That's my relationship with understanding, understanding. <laughs> <laughs> right. And with what a fact is. It means that regardless of our ideology, mm. if we follow the same steps, we'll get the same outcome. And like, and stories that we get told about, like, why do we think that a bunny comes and takes, gives us eggs? <laughs> and why do we think that like a tooth falls out and we leave it under the pillow mm. and a fairy gets it? 
<laughs> and leaves money. But you know that that's kids, kids think that that's real, and to them it's just real. There's no other. Yeah, it's a lie though. What so like it's still could a lie. be um, the law of gravity until somebody else comes up with a different explanation that we then go, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, I knew oh, yes. that all along. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> It's the same with the black hole theory. Are you imagining, like, multiple chins? Or you do that accent? <laughs> yeah, like, a large moustache? And... <laughs> yeah. Or the same as... Um... Yeah, it's. I mean, it's hard to argue with our daily interaction with gravity. Uh, I understand what you mean about the... The, the maths... S- behind it may be disproved and the reason that it exists may be disproved Mm. of it but our relationship with it i don't know if we could take that as optional no but it's not like it's the same what i'm trying to say is what you what you accept as truth like Um, if a kid wakes up and they have they they went to sleep with a tooth under their pillow (laughs) and they woke up and it was gone and it's a dollar it's the same, yeah. yeah. Then and somebody tells them it's because of this. Yeah. It's because a fairy came in yeah. and took your tooth. Then they believe that that's their truth, truth right? but it's not fact. Well, it is to them. No, and so oh, if someone says gravity is holding you down on earth that like they, this, that, that that when if they say okay, say they never learn, they never get that the they never it's never shattered for them mm. <laughs> that actually it was just their mum or their dad, or their brother, or themselves sleepwalking. Um, and then they have a kid, and the kid loses a tooth, and they're like, chuck it onto your pillow, you'll get a dollar. <laughs> and then everyone goes to sleep, and then the next morning, that tooth's still there because the parent that they now yeah. are didn't do it. Yeah. Then what do they do? Then their understanding changes, and they have to upgrade their understanding, which happens to us all the time. And I hope that what their understanding has upgraded to is something that has more of a relationship with reality, with the world beyond the subject. And that that would cause us less suffering if we had a more direct relationship with how things are going to happen and respond. Like you were saying before, it's like... Mm. Yeah, I mean, I understand what you're saying. I just still don't th- see it as different to the way that we experience the world because there is always more to the story and we always are in pursuit of finding that out, and mm. we do, but there's always more, there's always more. So it's our understanding of our truth is our truth of now, our understanding of what is now with our limited perception. Yeah. And human beings are very limited in their perception. Yeah, I mean, we've come a long way. Like, <laughs> we just have fire in our pockets. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah. I'm not bagging us out. I'm just trying to, like, um, to... I wonder... Sorry, yeah. Just to reaffirm that truth we don't know. is, yeah, we in the eye growing. of the beholder. Yes, but fact is not. But what... But fact is just... Um, a fact until it's disproven and yes. made into a new fact. Yes. And I'm trying to say that that's but, what but our facts, individual truths are as well. Facts 
hopefully are reached by um, predictable outcomes upon set steps, even if the people executing those steps have different ideologies and truths and expectations of the outcome, right? And hopefully we continue to work out as close to possible a relationship with how the world functions. Yeah, I mean, I think we're actually saying the same thing, to be honest. Oh, okay. Do you think that happens a lot? (laughs) Yes. I think I'm just saying that it can change. You have, like, each human is only as their truth is only as far as their understanding of the world. Which is why people get into magic, because they're illiterate. Subscribe to what information is given to us and we take it as fact. And that... But we should test it. It's just changing. It's just constantly changing. Yeah, but hopefully it's changing towards being more closely related to causal relationship with the world rather than just, like, mm. fr- frantic ideology. Yeah, like, it, it, it builds on... Do you think the truth is more negotiable than fact? <laughs> um, is truth more negotiable than fact? I, I don't know. Yeah. I think that the exp- your experience of life yes. is one that nobody else can, can have. have. Yeah. So regardless of what the fact is, your experience of life is yes. what it was. Yes. It's what it was. And it can be changed retroactively if you're told new information about Yeah, yeah. What and you can learn from it past. and things can change and yeah. la la la. But all you have is your perspective and your experience. Like a fact is cool. It's like fucking fact but like what am i going to do with that (laughs) live a good life where you have a direct relationship with causality but i don't believe in that i just don't believe in that so how do you get beyond like self-deprecating recursive belief systems and actions and habits that keep you in suffering if it's not about looking at what causes what causes what those things that, I, like, I don't see them as facts. I see them as truths, like, as experiences that I had that were yeah. true to me yeah. that followed on from one to the other. And as yeah. I look at those things, I learn. Right. But the sky is blue is a fact, and that had nothing to do with the things that I experienced on the inside, you know? And then I guess it just starts getting a bit more intertwined when it starts being like um, because if we think about perspectives and then we think perspectives are seated within the subject and then the subject is about experience and the experiences are based on the senses and then the integration and interpretation of what comes in through the senses and the story that then you tell yourself and other people tell you to hang Mm -hmm. those experiences on then we have to think about at some point it stops being um, a pluralism of experience and viewpoint and perspective because at some point things cross over into like having a physiological basis um, for uh, like 
mental illnesses or things like that. Like that actually that really colors your experience and your truth mm. in the world mm. and how you interact. And, and that often is nothing to do with like that has an actual physical substance base that is like a, a brain structure or injury or chemical base that can through a causal understanding of how chemicals interact from like testing and then writing the results down and testing again and writing the results down Mm. and like then applying the fact that this chemical mixing with this chemical does this thing to this thing that is in our head and then all of your truths change about the world Mm. so it, it starts getting really super intricate there at the at the point of self as intertwined with physiology Mm. yeah i agree Mm. Any, any anything you want to finish on so like something nice that you're trying to remind yourself when you're working in process or oh that everything changes mm. and everything is temporary mm. yeah Good one. yeah so there's always a new is a new thing on the other side of the thing that you're in mm. Mm. thanks so much thank, thank you time.